Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I need to tell you that I believe in furniture gremlins. They're not demons, they're gremlins. Gremlins are little invisible creatures that cause trouble in your home or your business. And the furniture gremlins come at night and they move the furniture. I'll tell you how I know they're there. So it's the middle of the night and all of us are a certain age and you have to get up in the middle of the night. And that's all I'm going to say, but you have to get up in the middle of the night. And you say to yourself, self I say, I don't need to turn on the lights. I can get from here to that other room. I've lived in this house and you can fill in how many years you've lived there and I know where the furniture is. And you take two steps and you whack your big toe on a piece of furniture that you would swear wasn't there when you went to bed. You know why it's there? The furniture gremlins. They move it all in the dark and they put it back in the morning before the sun comes up. So now, think about this. Now it's the middle of the night. You are in whatever it is you wear to bed, and you're doing the, I don't want to yell out loud and tell everybody I was foolish enough not to turn on the light dance. It looks like this. <laughs> and why, in the dark, does it always feel like it's bleeding? You're sure. You are beyond a shadow of a doubt. You are now bleeding all over the floor. And you still have to go to that room you got out of bed to go to. So now you're doing this. And I'm sorry you can't see that on the tape, but it's pretty funny, right? And you're hopping to the room, and you finally get the room, you close the door, and you turn on the light. Thank goodness there's no blood. And you say to yourself, why do I do this every time? Right? You would think that once you learned that there were furniture gremlins, you would turn on the lights. Well, we don't turn on the lights because we don't want to bother the people around us. Right? Middle of the night, you don't want, uh, I, I like Vicky a lot, and I don't want Vicky to roll over and go, what, why are you doing that? Why are you turning on the light? The light in the darkness can bother people. I want you to hear this. The other thing that happens is <laughs> you turn on the light, and then your pupils go from this big to this big, and you, you look like a frog or a deer in the headlight. You're like, mm. and now it's the opposite of being in the dark. It's too light. And you can't see. Or, sometimes I can't read my own Sometimes, oh, <laughs> this may not be in your house, but it's in my house. The switch is too far away. I, I, I have an assigned side of the bed. I'm sure you all do too, right? There's Vicky's side and there's my side. And the light is on Vicky's side of the room all the the, the light is actually further away than the room I need to get to. So to go, the light is an inconvenience. So I want you to hear this, that light, which we're all going to talk about in a positive framework today, the light is sometimes an inconvenience, sometimes it bothers the people around you, or sometimes it can, it can make it hard to do the things that you want to do. I want you to hear that. So in Jesus' time, you did not have a light in every room. Well, actually you did, because guess how many rooms you had? You had one. You had one room. And everybody lived in that room. And in the summer, which is a lot of the time where Jesus lived, you lived on the roof. Those were your two rooms. 
Well, if you're living on the roof, you don't really need a light up there. God provides the light for the roof. And on the bottom floor, you had one window. And in your house, you probably had one lamp. And we have all these images of lamps. I want you to take a moment and imagine what a lamp might look like in Jesus' time. And I'm going to tell you that you're all wrong. It was a bowl. And in that bowl, they poured oil. And on the side of that bowl, they had a wick that hung out. And they lit the wick. And that was all the light they had. Now, that doesn't sound a lot of, like a lot of light until you're trying to find the key to your front door and you use the light from your cell phone. I'll never forget one day, I was laying in bed and I saw this strange glow coming down the hallway. And I'm like, what was that? <clears throat> Darn it all, Jonathan was coming home late at night, probably later than he should have, and he was creeping down the hall using his iPhone as a light, trying not to bother the people in the house, also trying not to get caught. But even in the darkness, one little tiny light makes a difference. Now, they did not have matches or lighters or those cool charcoal lighting things that we use, you know, the clickers. Getting fire was quite difficult in the time of Jesus, so when it came time to put everybody to bed, they actually put a bowl over the, the lamp. Now it had a hole in it, because we all know that if you <laughs> seal it, the vacuum would cut off the air and it wouldn't burn. But they covered the light with a bowl, which is why Jesus said something to the effect of, when you have a light, you don't cover it up. Well, they did cover it up when the time was appropriate. Now, I worked at a church once where on the candlelight service, they would have us all hold our lights up for the last verse of Silent Night. And if you take your lights from here, because we usually do that holding our bulletins, right? Silent Night. And uh, one church I served decided that we should all sing it in German. Why? Because it was originally written in German. I don't know if you know Silent Night was written because the organ broke at the church on Christmas Eve, and the pastor said to the organist, get out your guitar, we need to write a song, and they wrote Silent Night because the organ was broken at church, right? And I'm sure you all know it in German, but I'll refresh your memory, you know. Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht. So we were gripping our bulletins reading the German. So when the lights go up like this, when even 10 people or 20, or I worked at one church where there were hundreds, put their lights up, it becomes almost as bright as day, which is why Jesus said, you put your light on a lampstand. Now, the question I have for you today is, are you a floodlight or a flashlight? I want you to think about this. When we get home on a dark night, we don't keep little individual lights sitting by the door and we hand out, well, hello, here's your lantern. Come into my house, here's your lantern. What do we do? We flick on the main light in the main room when we come in. We want to be able to see everything. Jesus says he wants us to be a floodlight. He wants us to light up the world around us. He wants to illuminate and inform our world. 
In fact, the psalmist helps us out with this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus says, I want you to light up the world around you. Now, a Reformed theologian named John Stott said this. He said, if the home is dark, don't curse the house. Ask, where is the light? If the home is dark, don't curse the house. Ask, where is the light? Are you a floodlight? Are you a flashlight? Are you lighting up the world all around you or just little parts of the world? The next question I want you to ask is, are you pretzel salt or are you cooking salt? Now, I don't know about you, but my mom decided way before people started worrying about this that soft pretzels had too much salt on them, and she was a thumb rubber, right? You'd stop the car, and you'd get the pretzels from the man in the bag in Philadelphia, and mom would take the pretzel out, and what did she do? She took her thumb, and she rubbed all the salt. Oh, that just made me mad. She was interfering with that pretzel in its natural state. <laughs> and raise your hand if you like salt. Who doesn't like salt? And then one day, I bought my own soft pretzel, and I bit into it with the salt on it, and guess what I learned? It tastes exactly the same. See, the salt on the outside is just for show. There's people who wear crosses and T-shirts and bumper stickers. I, I love the people that have the one that says, Honk if you love Jesus. And you do, and then they get mad at you. Like, you got the bumper sticker. <laughs> you told me to do it, right? Honk if you love Jesus, and they're waving at you, and not with all five fingers. <laughs> they're pretzel salt. Cooking salt was used to preserve. It was used to prepare. It was used to sharpen the flavor. I, I, since I have been married to Vicky, I've been become quite aware of the Food Network and the HGTV Network. Chip and Joanna and Flip and Flop and uh, what's it Love It or List It. She loves all those shows. And I got to tell you, I, I've become a big fan of Chopped. And you'll see them deliver this beautiful plate of food that they cook in a frenetic pace in a half an hour and they'll lay it in front of the judge. And the judge will say, this is really great presentation. I like the choices you made, but... It lacks seasoning. There's not enough salt. Now, we can't taste the food on chopped. Sometimes I wish we could. But we've all had food that didn't have enough salt. And if you don't prepare it well with the salt, there's not enough salt you can put on it afterwards to get that back. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are to illuminate and inform the world. And you are the salt of the world. You are here to add flavor and to sharpen focus. Now, salt in Jesus' time was actually equivalent to money. Part of a Roman soldier's pay was a packet of salt. It was also used as a preservative. If you were going on a long distance, you would have salted meat. Why? Because if you don't salt it, it goes bad rather quickly. It was used for cooking and preservatives and even as barter. If you didn't have money, you could use salt. Salt was one of the most valuable things that everybody could have in Jesus' time. It was common, and yet it was uncommon. Everybody had it, but everybody needed it. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt 
of the earth. Back to John Stott, he said, if the meat is spoiled, don't blame the meat. Ask, where's the salt? Now, the other thing is not in Jesus' time, because they didn't have them back then, but I'd like to ask you this. Are you a thermostat, or are you a thermometer? See, a thermometer tells you how hot or cold something is, right? And Vicki, I, I love being married to a nurse. I'll say that louder in case she listens. I love being married to a nurse, but sometimes it's a bit challenging. I'll say, I, I have a headache. She said, do you take anything for it? Well, I don't even think about that. And she rolls her eyes at me, or she'll feel my head, and she said, did you take your temperature? Like, no. So then she goes and she gets the electronic one. And I sort of miss the old days with the mercury because you knew somebody cared about you because they came at you like this. <laughs> now, you can't see that on the tape, but I'm shaking an imaginary thermometer, right? They would come at you like this to make sure it was below normal. And then they would look at it, which was never easy. I could never get that magnetic side to go. They would look at it and then pop it in your mouth. And then you had to wait there and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until it showed you. But all a thermometer does is measure the environment. It has no effect on the environment. It just measures it. Whereas a thermostat, that little box in the back of the church, we can make it hotter. We can make it colder. We can change the environment. So a spiritual thermometer likes to point out the sin in the world. Spiritual thermometer goes, oh, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. The spiritual thermostat changes their world and said, that's wrong. How can I help make it different? That's wrong. How can I make that different? That person's feeling unloved. How can I make them feel loved? That person's sick. How can I visit them? Take it right from Matthew 25. Jesus says we have to make a change in our world. You are the light of the world. Make the world a brighter place. I love that old uh, hymn, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. Raise your hand if you remember that one. What? There's three of us. Now I feel older than I did before I started. Right in the corner where you, or like we sang with the children, this little light of mine. Jesus says, shine, do something. The second thing he says is sharpen the world. Make the world a better place. Be the salt. Make it more flavorful. Make it more, make it last longer. And then he says, in my opinion, be a therm thermostat. Change your environment. I want to finish with two stories about candles. One is uh, a parable, and the other one is a true story. So the parable goes like this. Three children went to a candlelight service, and they gave out those brand-new candles. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a candlelight service, I want a brand-new candle. I don't want one that was burned last year. And I understand we're saving money, and I understand that we only light them for, what, three minutes to sing Silent Night in English or in German, but I want a new candle. I want a brand new candle with a new wick. And this church gave out brand new candles. And each of the children got one. And the first child said, I love my brand new candle. I am, I'm not going to light it at all. And when they 
sent the flame down the pew. They hit the candle and didn't light it, and they took it home with them, and they had a brand new candle. The second child lit the candle and sang Silent Night with everybody else, and when they got to the door of the church, blew out the candle and, and took the partially used candle home. They, they had caught the light of Christ, but it only went to the door of the church and then off. And the last child was very excited to get their candle, and they lit and they sang, and they blew it out at the door, but when they got home, they put a little stand in their room. And they lit that candle when they were praying or reading their Bible, and within about five or six months, that candle was nothing. They had burned it down. And the oldest child with the brand new candle said to the mother, Mom, I think I took the best care of my candle. Mine is still brand new and untouched. And my little brother, his candle's gone. And Mom said, you know, candles are made to be used. Running the candle is burnt. Owning the candle is not enough. You have to let the light on. And you have to let your light shine among men. Owning the candle is not enough. Now, here's a true story about candles for you. There was a church in Canada, Ontario, Canada. And while they were having an evening candlelight service, lightning struck the transformer by the church and they lost all the power. So now they had a church full of people. And the pastor went and he got the candles and he handed them out and everybody finished the church service with the candles. And they navigated their way through the church to the door, but the storm was still going. So I want you to picture this. You had a, a bunch of dry, warm Christians with a light looking out the door at the storm and asking, because we've all done this, <laughs> do I really want to go out there? I mean, you've sat in your car and waited for the rain to slow down. Just not. You've said, we've all done it. It's going to slow down. I'll wait. And they were standing there poised to go into the world with the light, but they were afraid that the storm would blow out their candle or get them all wet. It was a real-life example of what it means to be the light of the world. It cannot just be inside this building. I've said this before. I... I miss sometimes the pageantry of the Methodist Church because we would have a cute little kid come down and light two candles on the altar. One was called the Christ candle and one was called the proclamation candle. And at the last hymn, the kid would come up and put out the proclamation candle with their little stick. They would light the Christ candle. Very important that you know that. They would douse the candle, but they still have the light of Christ on their stick and then they would walk down the aisle, the idea being that we would follow Christ out into the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So we're going to finish up with John Stott, because the quote had three parts. The first part was, if the house is dark, don't curse the house. If the meat is spoiled, don't blame the meat. If society is corrupt... Don't blame society. We need to ask, where is the light? Where is the salt? Where is the church? So if you have never taken the light of Christ into your heart, during the last hymn, which is Shine, Jesus, Shine, we would love to invite you forward. 
We're going to leave the front pews open. And uh, Pastor Wiki or the deacons would love to pray with you. I'll be busy playing the piano. If the light of Christ seems to only be shining for you in church, it never gets beyond the door. And you want to make a change. You want to illuminate your world and sharpen the flavor of the world around you and change that world. Again, during the last hymn, we'll leave the front pews open. And while we sing, Pastor Wiki or the deacons would love to pray with you. And finally, maybe God is challenging you to shine your light in a new way, a new ministry, a new outreach. You've got that burning in your heart and you need to share it with somebody or, or find the support of the church to reach out. Once again, the pews will be open and we would love to pray with you. Amen.